Hello, I'm Howard, and welcome to the 9320 Podcast Friday Show. Doing our utmost to fill the void and soul-sapping boredom created by the seventh international break of the season, or so it feels, uh, we'll be looking back at the weekend derby, now the dust has truly settled, and at anything else that attracted our interest this week. Uh, and apologies for my man flu, which is also known as a very slight cold. So I'm delighted to be joined by two big hitters today. Uh, first of all, uh, good morning, Sam. Oh, hello. First of all, on on ASAN's own show, usually. Uh, uh, yeah, good morning. Well, new tactic. I'm going in alphabetical order of surnames so that no one gets upset. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. I didn't, I I didn't get that memo, Howard. Got to be honest. All oh, right, well, I've just made it up, so... Excellent. Anyway, yes, uh, hello, thank you. It's, yeah, it's been a while, okay, isn't Sam? it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, and as you may have heard in the background, the one and only uh, Asan. Hello. Morning. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing pretty excellent. Brilliant. You've got the, the great job of uh, editing out my sniffs later on. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Good can I just say, before we, before we get into it, apologies to all the 9320 player members. The last... 48 hours been a little bit tricky with the website, but we've decided to move servers. It was my call in the end, even though I knew that it meant doing it like this would mean two days of, of downtime, but I just think it needs to be done. So yeah, hopefully by, well, touch wood, to, by tomorrow morning, everything will be back to normal. Sorry, Howard. Brilliant. Yeah, no problem. Uh, right, I've got an opening question. Uh, in the news this week, Richard Scudamore's... Uh, Bruce Buck, chairman of Chelsea, a good friend of Scudamore, decided to go around. Now Scudamore's the outgoing, uh, is uh, leaving his job. Out. Bruce decided to go around the uh, teams and asked for £250,000 per club as a golden handshake to Mr Scudamore for all his good work over, I don't know, I think it was like 19 years or something. Uh, and it seems to have succeeded. Five teams vetoed it, but uh, obviously 15 teams didn't. Uh, so I want to ask, obviously this has created quite a backlash. Uh, so, Aysan, I'll start with you. How do you view this payment that's been made to a guy who's on about two and a half million a year? Uh, is this a sign of how football's lost touch with its roots or just a business thing that you would expect in any big company and a smart move for a talented operator? How do you view it? Well, mm, I mean, I'm definitely not in the... Uh in the former camp, which is the idea that football has lost touch with its roots because I'm a bit bored with that conversation. Um, I mean, yeah, look, he's done, by all accounts, an incredible job at um, maximising the commercial potential of the Premier League whilst he's been there. Um, from what I understand of the golden handshake, actually also a little bit of a golden handcuff in the sense that he yeah. can't go and work for a competitor for, I think, two years or three years, however long it is. And on top of that, by making the payment, or is it over five years or over three years, however long it is, he will be a consultant, so available to whoever the new head of the Premier League is. So, and yeah, like you said at the very beginning, if you do a job, like, you know, it's a little bit like people getting irate about footballers getting bonuses or footballers' salaries. It's like, look, we don't live in that world, but in that world, that's a perfectly normal amount of money for somebody who's overseen 
the commercial growth of a company in the manner in which Scudamore has overseen the commercial growth of the Premier League. So, so yeah, I'm I'm a bit I'm a bit done with the faux outrage. To be honest with you, I'm just a little bit like this is yeah. Uh, maybe I'm a little bit still affected by all the football league stuff and this kind of, I just feel like right now the football media in general has gotten very uppity and uh, very self-righteous. And I don't really think that it's, I don't really think that's their job to be honest with you. But anyway, that's, that's my take on it. Uh, Sam, even if we accept that, well, you know, he's a highly paid businessman you know like the ceo payment would be this is perfectly normal is there a problem with pr here yeah it's the pr isn't it really? because i mean personally in my view yeah to be honest if i you know i can't sound really angry that they're paying a highly paid person uh, a golden handshake but we've got clubs here i think 16 clubs still i mean clubs have had to be absolutely uh, you know pressured and pressured just to give living wage uh, to a lot of employees, City obviously putting season tickets up for ten pounds when they don't need to, which is effectively paid for this. Uh, so we, yeah, you know, we they put our season tickets up. I know, and again, it doesn't matter ten pound, but it's just the PR for, especially City, a club who are of course obsessed with PR, as we found in the last week, and how damaging it can be. Is this have they shot themselves in the foot a bit here doing this? Yeah, that that's basically my my point of view with it um the payoff is i don't know maybe about right and he's obviously done he's obviously done good work because you can't just say the premier league would have marketed itself and become this massive league without him because you, you just can't go around you know not giving people their dues basically but yeah. but yeah i think it's the pr it look it looks bad it it looks you know it already looks like a league that's got too much money even on the football side of it you know you go into the scouting or whatever and you think why why aren't players why aren't Premier League clubs bringing in players for very little little money and turning them into superstars like happens in France and and well Portugal's a bit different because of the work permits. But yeah, definitely you know, definitely like French teams. If if City buy in Dombele, Leon will just go and get someone else for five million and then sell him for fifty million in a few years. <laughs> and it's saying like Dortmund have been doing it for years. So Premier League teams they they always seem to have too much money than they know what to do with anyway, not investing it properly. And then the Premier League in general you know, there's always calls. It's not their responsibility. And again, this is probably unfair because it's the FAs really. And this all came from the, the Wembley sale about grassroots football and the money coming down. And the Premier League always gets kind of accused of keeping that back. Although, again, it's not their responsibility and they, they do contribute. But yeah, it's it's just one of those where when you're such a big company like that, it you're always going to attract criticism when money is spent on things that, aren't strictly necessary and 250 grand per club isn't a lot but then it gets compared to things like you know clubs going bust because they need however much and it was the first round of the FA Cup last weekend and I think two teams on telly got 70 grand each from from TV rights and that was obviously sort them out for years and it's it's just a PR thing basically uh, it, it it looks bad doesn't it it looks it looks greedy and they look like out of touch out of touch bankers and and that kind of thing and, and nobody wants that they kind of are out of touch bankers. Hey yeah. Sam, can I just ask you one thing? Sorry, Howard, I know it's your show. Um, why, why did, why was it necessary for all the clubs to pay five million pounds? What? Surely the Premier League 
itself has five million quid in its coffers to pay Scudamore's golden handshake. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess you know, I, I guess he's had personal dealings with the, the 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 chairman, and he's, I guess, he's made all of them happy. And even if the chairman haven't been there long, he'd have made the clubs happy because the, this TV deal has you know, sorted them out. That's why nobody wants to get relegated, even even less so than the normal, because. You know, if you finish bottom, you get more than Bayern Munich do, or whatever. You know, whatever the comparisons are. So mm. they're obviously very happy with the job he's done over the years, and you know, there'll be there'll be ins and outs and details of it that we don't even realise. But we can look at the balance sheets and say he's made all these Premier League clubs richer. Um, mm. So I guess it's, that's why the clubs are doing it because it's a thank you from them um, for making them rich, I suppose, and they're probably giving that back. Yeah, I guess I just yeah. kind of, I guess I just kind of feel a little bit like. I don't really understand why this has happened in such a public fashion. Um, I don't understand why the Premier League didn't just write him a cheque for five million quid and say thank you very much. It's not like you know the Premier League have got an obscene amount of money in their coffers, surely, um, even after they've divvied out what they pay to the clubs themselves. So it just seems like, you know, by going to the clubs, by making it so public, the PR backlash was always going to be what it has been. Yeah, I'm not sure it's as black as white, black and white as we we are told either. As you say, he remains in a consultancy role. I'm sure for that 250 grand, they, they'll want something back. So you know, a few assurances during you know with his successor. Uh, so I'm sure it's not just a yeah, here's 250 thousand pounds as a thank you. Uh, but they obviously thought it was money well spent uh, and. Fortunate, of course, that he asked the current Premier League sides because he's done a lot for a lot of teams who, you know, aren't in the Premier League at the moment. But they they weren't asked. It's just the current Premier League sides. So tough luck to the promoted sides who <laughs> 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 he's not really done anything for. So you know, if they've not been in the Premier League recently, they'll probably say, "Well, why have we got to pay him?" So oh, but, can, yeah. can I just say I've just seen on Twitter, um, Stephen in in a steam company. He he's actually tweeting about this just now, and the best point of it is, many clubs don't even pay a living wage to their staff. So no, that's yeah, that's, that's, very good that's point, what I it? asked you. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I just wanted to kind of add that because I hadn't thought of it, but he has. So yeah. I'm going to chuck it in. It's just so desperate to wring every bit of money out, you know, as a business, and yet they'll just give two hundred fifty thousand pounds away. That's why I think there's a bit more to it than simple. Yes, you deserve it. Uh, and that they'll want some reassurances that things won't change in the coming years. But Yeah, but those two things for me aren't connected. The idea that clubs don't pay a living wage, but the Premier League have got to pay Scudamore a bonus and the clubs have got to... It's the clubs paying him a bonus, don't they? They're chipping it. Oh, no, I mean, I, I, I get that, but like you can, you know, fundamentally, football club, Premier League football clubs spend obscene amounts of money on loads of different things. So you could pick any of those things and go, you don't pay a living wage, but, you know, your chairman all jump into a private jet that cost them 50 grand to fly down to London for the for the meeting that they had about Scudam. You see what I mean? That, like, yeah. the, the, the way in which money is spent at that level, it's... Anyway, sorry, I'm going around in circles here. Yeah, well, I think we've spent enough time on it anyway. Uh, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it's happening, so we'll get over it. Uh, right. Let's uh, let's look back at uh, last weekend, uh, yeah. which some may enjoy more than others. <laughs> uh, Sam, I'm going to start with you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I didn't write these words. <laughs> what a coward I am! Uh, and it says in the notes 
the long look back at the derby, the United performance, first of all, do you think it's not had enough criticism for its cowardly nature, especially in the second half? Yeah, you see, I was thinking that um, <clears throat> because it was the, it was the scoreline, I think, that people are going by. And, I mean, in fairness, in fairness, there was that feeling, wasn't there? And I don't often agree with Mourinho, but he did say, didn't he? He was like, the fans felt it, the players felt it, Pep felt it on the bench. At 2-1, people did think, oh, hold on, this, this is going to happen again. Like, just yeah. out of nowhere. Not because United were doing anything particularly threatening, but just because it was United and because of what happened in April. So maybe, to be fair, that has factored into it um, because... Well, at 2-1, up until Gundogan scored, it did feel in the balance, even if on the balance of play it shouldn't have been. But, you know, that is football, really. So, I mean, that's probably why, although then we get back into the whole debate that we've had, we've been having, especially on this show for years since Guardiola came in, about how football clubs, um, they don't, if, if they sit back and defend, they don't really get criticised for that in England. That's seen as like a brave performance. And that goes yeah. back decades so that's not going to change so those two things basically have combined to to mean United kind of got off the hook really people haven't seen it as a as a poor performance and then like afterwards you've obviously seen or may have heard about the the Sooness and Neville debate afterwards and he was saying look Sooness was saying to Neville look answer me this has has Mourinho got the best out of his team and Gary Neville was like I don't know how can you not know uh, look at look at that. Not just not just look at that today. And again, I tweeted during the game. Maybe maybe the City game isn't the time to make the point or to hang Mourinho over it. But look at all the other games. That that's just yeah. how they play. There is no there is no proper plan. And the reason Herrera got caught on the ball so often is partly because he had a shocker, and partly because they probably didn't know what they had to do when they had the ball. Because I bet they weren't even drilled in it. I bet they didn't even expect it to happen. Or 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 there was like you know a general knock it over for Martial. It was a it was a poor oh, performance, but I think I think they got um, I think they got away with that criticism, yeah, because there was that feeling, rightly or wrongly, that that they could nick it, and also because people just don't really criticise defensive performances anymore, like generally in terms of like mainstream media. Um, if it could it could have been four or five nil, and then it would have been, but people are going by the scoreline and that intangible feeling, I guess. Yeah. What do you think of his Mourinho's comments afterwards? They just wash over you now, or? Uh, which ones in particular? Just, I mean, yeah, they do. But well, all of them was pretty today. stupid. About if he could have brought Fellaini on, and uh, yeah, well, that was well, that not going to get relegated. That was incredible, just, wasn't it? Yeah, um, I mean, well, the Fellaini thing was mad because it wasn't because he was asked about Pogba not being available, and the way he went about it at first was, oh, I'd, I'm not looking for excuses. I don't, I don't want to say if we'd have had Pogba, it would have been better, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I was like, okay, fair enough. But what I actually ended up saying was. Not that he missed having somebody as talented as Pogba uh, with the capability to change a game as much as Pogba has, but that he effectively didn't have two Fellaini's or he couldn't just wait and hang on into the game at 2-1 to bring on Fellaini and go long. Because, I mean, that is what people should be criticising, really. He's literally got one plan if it's not... Well, the first plan is go out there, you're all, you're all good footballers, you should win. And if not, if they're not winning, it's get Fellaini on. That's why he should be criticised for, really. And it's been the same for ages, but I don't know. It just, well, they do get criticised when they're poor, but it, this momentum hasn't really carried on. When United were picking up results against Bournemouth and Everton, and even even Juve, yeah. it was like, oh, they've turned the corner now. It's like, well, 
they've not really. They could have lost these games. That Newcastle game, you got to, you've got to applaud the comeback. But Newcastle had plenty of chances, even still at 2-0. As soon as United equalised, Newcastle had a chance again. The big, big chances, and that was the big thing heading into the City games. If you give City that many chances, you're knackered. And that was why all this talk about turning the season around is complete nonsense, because if they keep playing like that over the length of the season, they're not going to win every game in the last minute. They're going to draw no. and get beat quite often. So Times have changed. Yeah, yeah. so I do let his comments yeah. wash over me, because it's just, it's just nonsense, really. The other stuff about... Oh, it was individual mistakes. Like their goals came from individual mistakes. It's like, yeah, they did, but you had one goal. It was a penalty. That was one mistake from one player, and it was just it was just the goalkeeper basically coming out and maybe Stone stepping up slightly. That was it, and you got a penalty yeah. from that. That was the only thing. So, if you if you're talking individual mistakes out of it, it would have been nil nil, which presumably is what he was after, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I think you would have been ecstatic with and, that. And the other, uh, sorry, the other thing, just, just, to, I don't know why. But here we go. But he mentioned the the two away games that United had, and obviously it makes a difference playing at home to playing away. But the, I think didn't he refer to like the the Southampton game as like a friendly win? And he was, oh yeah, two six nil wins. They come here, but it's like, yeah, but yeah. they earned those six nil wins. They didn't just just hand them, They weren't just handed them on a plate. If United had played Southampton at Shakhtar Donetsk at home, they wouldn't have won six nil. Oh, well, I think Daniel Story said on Twitter the last time you did play him at home, it was nil-nil. I don't know if... <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't even remember that game, but... Um, no, yeah. I don't. I don't know if you're talking about the last time. Obviously, it's not a game that would stick in the memory anyway for, for United or City fans, so a nil-nil at home to Southampton. But yeah, as you say, it's yeah, it was hardly a given, is it? It's how, how good you are, how well you play. Yeah. And United wouldn't have won it 6-1, would they, so... Uh, Asand, what does it say about Mourinho? Before we're going to look at City, of course, uh, very soon. What does it say about Mourinho, finally, and his team that Sanchez and Fred are on the bench and that Fred never even got off the bench, even when they were losing? Well, I mean, the guy's made a lot of noise about how he's not being backed in the transfer window and he spent, you know, close to 60 million euros on on a centre midfield player. He then picked a midfield of Matic, Herrera and Fellaini and left Fred on the bench for for 90 minutes and just doesn't make any reference to having him on the bench as an option under any circumstances. And, I mean, you know, in amongst the cowardly performance, the cowardly post-match comments, the basically the, 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 the shitness of everything that is Mourinho right now, I think that's the most damning indictment of that guy is the fact that Fred doesn't get off the bench. And it almost makes me think, because he can't not know, like, you know, you can't be so detached from reality that you don't know that on the one hand, you're bending over backwards to say that you're not being backed by the owners and that you need more money and the squad needs to be improved. And on the other hand, loads of the players that you've signed can't get on the pitch because you've ruined them or you try to ruin them. I mean, it's, I tweeted before the game, he picked a Van Aal team. It was baffling to me. I looked at that team and went, just stepped in a time machine here. Why has he done this? And it's, it's just, for me, he's a, it, I feel as though with Mourinho now, he's in the same position he was in at a certain moment at Chelsea, the same position he was in at a certain moment at Real Madrid. At a certain moment, Mourinho goes, toys out the pram, I don't want to be here anymore, I want my payoff. And he does things 
to ensure that at some point before the start of the following season, he's sacked and he gets his payoff. In all of those situations, all of those battles that he takes on, all the fights that he takes on, whether it's with big players in the dressing room or with board members, they're all battles that he knows that he can't win. And he just takes them on because he's looking for his payoff and his sack. And don't worry, Mr. Mourinho, it's coming. Whether it comes mid-season or at the end of the season, you're getting your P45. No. <laughs> Say it isn't so. Uh, Sorry. Fact, just very quickly, Sam. Would you, if you're Edward Wood, would you give him 100 million? Uh, some PR guff come no, out this week. He'll get 100 million. It wasn't million just this week. Would it was directly after the Newcastle game, wasn't it? Which was the last international break. It's mad. Yeah. Um, well, the, I mean, look, this is the thing. If I'm Ed Woodward, that's another question because the the state the state of him. Um, but he was he was brief in the papers in the summer that oh he didn't want Alderweireld, but he would have spent hundred million on Varane kind of stuff, and he didn't want to he didn't want to back Mourinho over transfers, which which I get, I wouldn't either. But if you didn't want to back the manager over transfers, then you got to get rid of him. You can't just expect him to limp on. Um, yeah. So why would it why would it change now? But Woodward doesn't really seem to work by much logic in that sense. Um, so. I wouldn't be surprised if he did make money available, but it doesn't matter. It was like they were linked with um, Milinkovic Savage in the summer for about eighty nine million and or hundred million, and people were saying, "Oh, you know, he, he could be, you know, he's been really good in Serie A. He, he could be great um, for United." It's like, well, they've literally done this exactly the same with Pogba two years down the line. Can't can't get the best out of him. What what? And you just basically look at all the other signings Mourinho's made. None of them are playing well. None of them. Victor Lindelof is doing okay at the moment. Where's uh, Bailey? Um, kind of injured and kind of left out because he dislikes Mourinho as much as any of them. And there's quite a few right. that do. So that's part of it as well. Um, but yeah, why why would you why would you give him another hundred million? But Woodward being Woodward, Woodward, he probably will. But I don't, whoever they sign, I don't expect them to just to suddenly turn the corner. It's it's a shambles, like we said. There's there's no there's no game plan, and then Plan B or Plan A is just give it to Fellaini. What, what's <laughs> going to make any difference to that? I don't think they'll give him any money in January. You know, Sam. I genuinely believe that it's kind of one of those situations where they've look that if we believe the David McDonnell story, they were ready to sack him. Mm. And if the story, if he doesn't write the story, my understanding is if the David McDonald doesn't write the story that he writes, Mourinho gets sacked that weekend. And the only reason he doesn't get sacked is because the board bottle it. Subsequently, there's been a mild upturn in results, which kind of puts them in a position where they've got to wait for the next genuine rock bottom crisis before they flit him. I don't see any situation within which they're going to spend money based on what he wants. Yeah. I think well, maybe, rather- maybe what he'll do is he'll buy the players who he thinks are good, like he did with um, uh, Di Maria and Falcao under Van Gaal, which is basically yeah. a fact. And maybe he'll, you know, like he was briefing in the summer, he, he didn't want to buy Alderweireld, which is mad to be fair. Uh, but he would have bought Varane. If he can get somebody who he thinks is worthy and who he thinks will work with the next manager, then I wouldn't be surprised if he did that. That's a fair shout, but because I just also think it that kind the, of keeps fans happy, investors happy, whatever. No, totally. I think the challenge though is finding players. I think it's interesting. You just picked two players, right? I think that a lot of those signings that have been made. Um, sorry, I'll be really brief. Is just that 
they're in they're very unique situations. Di Maria was basically told by Real Madrid, do one. Yeah. And he still spent the whole summer trying to find a move elsewhere and then eventually decided to go at United when no nothing else materialized. Falcao, Monaco were in dire need of getting him off the wage bill because of financial fair play at that point. They had to get rid of him. So again, it was kind of a desperation move, which is reflected in the fact that it was a loan deal. I think if you look at Man United currently, where they are in the league, um, the kind of instability around Mourinho, and then look at January as a transfer window, I don't see how they convince any player of the quality that they require to actually make that move in January. I think most people just go, no, nah, you're all right. We'll wait until the summer. So, yeah, so I just, I think it's unlikely that they'll, they'll get anybody in Jan. Yeah, I mean, no offence, but we run. <laughs> Why? Why would he? Yes, well, yeah, exactly. That's play just, for that's just at United. Like pie in the sky, Woodward talk, isn't it? Like, oh, I want to spend 100 million on him. It's like, well, that's completely irrelevant. It's just the one the World Cup. Real Madrid aren't going to let him go. Next. Yeah, exactly. Uh, anyway, right, let's, talk talk about about City. <laughs> let's talk about City. Uh, Asan, talk to me about Fernandinho. Well, I'm not even going to ask you a question. Just I'll talk, talk to you about, about Fernandinho. Fernandinho. I think it's been a really interesting uh, first third of the season for Ferner because I think that a lot like most seasons, he started quite slowly and, you know, there was genuinely a feeling mid-September-ish, that maybe his legs had finally fallen off and given way. Um, But I actually think that the Fernandinho that we're seeing now, the Fernandinho, for example, that we saw in the derby, is like a lot of these players, is a better player than he was a year ago. I feel as though what has been noticeable, not just in the derby, what has been noticeable for me very clearly in the last two or three weeks in the, in the performances that Fern has put in is that his passing has gone up a level. And I don't mean the, not necessarily the quality of the passing, but the decisions that he makes when he gets the ball. The I've touched upon it in a, in a pod earlier as well. Um, from a progressive point of view, Fernandinho now is playing far more um, forward passes than previously he's ever done and I think in terms of the accuracy and the tempo of those passes I think in many respects that position is so important because that you know sort of like deep line playmaker you're almost deciding at what tempo sit you're going to play at when Fernandinho's passing is after two touches and a little bit languid what happens in front of him generally is two touches and a little bit languid. When Fernandinho is picking up the ball, looking up and absolutely firing a ball into the feet of a forward, they know what's happening next. And they're reacting in a similar way. And the next ball, the next action, is generally at that tempo as well. So if I look at Ferner, and this isn't really about whether, you know, it's not a conversation about whether he can play for another year or two years or whether we need to buy anybody. No, it's just about right now, kind of looking at his performances and their arc. I feel as though he's getting better um, than he ever has been for City. And in terms of his, you know, I physically, he looks fine. He doesn't look like he's slow. He doesn't look like his legs are falling off. Mentally, he looks smarter than he's ever looked in terms of how he's playing within the team, within the system. So 
it's just very difficult to um it's it's just such a strange thing to you know two months ago maybe be having conversations around how do we get to january with this fernandinho and then who can we get in january to back him up and then to find ourselves now in november kind of be going what a weird conversation that was because he looks absolutely world class so yeah i mean i'm i'm super happy with with the kind of arc that Fernandinho's that Fernandinho's trajectory this season and where we find ourselves with him. And the more performances he puts in like this, very similar to David Silva, the more performances they put in at this level, the more you think they've definitely got another year in them. Yeah. I think we get a bit tied up on age as if totally. every 33 year old is footballer is on the same path. Uh, but you know, you think Rooney's 33 and you know, for, for me, he burnt out at least Premier League levels a good three years ago. Uh, but he he was a you know he still had a long career because he was he started so young at the top level. So uh, Fernandinho, he may be thirty three, but it doesn't mean that he doesn't. He has to have yeah. You know, he might still have these energy levels at thirty six. You just don't know, to be honest. Uh, unlikely, but uh, yeah, I think we need to forget the age and just watch what's happening in front of us. Uh, I don't think if he was 23, you'd still have the same concerns about him playing every single match because that applies to any footballer in the world. So, and that's the problem about you know whether we have cover or not. But so far, I think he's having his best season. And as you said, Asan, I think there was one excellent pass to Bernardo just only after about 90 seconds that he put wide, yeah. and the amazing. one where Sterling the Sterling was put through. I think that was him, and he did, you know dallied on the ball rather than shooting. Low to the far. Post. He also put David Silva through in that opening. Yeah. It, before the goal, he puts Silva through and Silva cuts it back for Aguero. And it's only on the replay that you kind of go, How did Aguero not connect with that ball and put it in yeah. the bottom corner? A key passes galore there that we don't normally associate with him. So if he's adding that, you know, if he's adding decisive forward balls to his armory, then yeah, then he's even better than ever. Uh, Sam, just ask you about Gundawan, who came on, settled the nerves. I think. We weren't out of control of the match, but we certainly got the control fully back even before his goal, I reckon. Uh, what, you know, there's a feeling that City always have to have a scapegoat amongst the fans, and he's the one if there is one. Yeah. Uh, your views on him and the role he can play this season at City? Um, it'll probably be the role he's played so far, particularly last season. You know, Obviously now Bernardo is... He doesn't have to play up front because City have got Mares an extra body, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, Bernardo seems to be the one who's replacing either David Silva or De Bruyne when they're injured. So Gundogan is still going to be the man to come in and and replace them and and do his thing there. Often he yeah. he does well enough. Sometimes you know he, he might be caught lacking because he's not as good as Silva and De Bruyne, which isn't a criticism. <laughs> it's just a reality, and it doesn't. It still doesn't mean. He's not a good player. So I think it'll be pretty much the same as it's always been. He's he's more than capable of replacing them for eight games out of ten, maybe even nine. Um, but you just notice it a bit more in the, in the one where it doesn't go his way. Uh, the substitution in the end the other day, I think, I'm sure this happened recently as well, obviously not in quite as big a game. But when he came on for Aguero, you think, I'd think, okay, this, this was interesting. But obviously I was like, well, Guardiola generally knows what he's doing so fine and in the end it worked out 
exactly what he wanted. Um, I don't see him coming on up front in too many games and dropping off and giving passes to the midfield um, because there aren't going to be too many games where City need that. You know, it'll be 5-0 at the end and let's bring on Jesus or whatever. Um, I kind of think it's interesting that Jesus wasn't the man to come on. Obviously, they needed something else, but in the past, that hasn't um, really affected it because Jesus' drop-off play and back-to-goal and work rate and whatever has been... Good, so I suppose maybe that ties into his situation at the moment. But yeah, Gundogan, Gundogan's Gundogan. I think we 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 know what we're going to get at this at this stage, having having watched him a lot. Yeah, uh, Asan, I won't mention his hair style, but Aguero, uh, like Fernandino, is he the best he's ever been for City? And how big was that goal? Kind yes, reminiscent of that time he made Phil Jones pull his classic <laughs> face in the. I think it was a three-one win, was it, Old Trafford? Um, yeah. It was, it was. I mean, look, I, I just, I don't, uh, I put Aguero in the um, agenda because I don't think that we really talked enough about how that goal is. I remember, and I've said this on the pod loads, I remember three years ago, four years ago, um, talking about how I felt that Aguero wasn't at Luis Suarez's level in terms of affecting big, big games when he needed to affect them and putting in performances that, you know, were... Aguero was a guy who could basically go quiet and not be seen for 30 minutes and then bang a goal in. And I think that what Guardiola has done is he's basically turned him into a Luis Suarez type of forward who is constantly involved in the game. But I think that when you do that, there is always the risk that you take away a little bit of the clinicalness get inside the box because he has to do so much work outside the box but that goal just showed that this is Aguero at his absolute peak and that performance overall up to the substitution which for me was harsh I would not have that's not the sub that that I'd have made um but up until that substitution from the up, including the goal in that second half, Aguero is just so important in terms of being part of the menace that we present to the Man United team, which makes them retreat to to the edge of their box. Um, and I wanted to one of the reasons I put it in the agenda because I knew Sam was coming on, and I wanted to ask Sam um, whether he knows whether how happy Aguero is in comparison to the end of Guardiola's first season in charge. Oh, yeah, yeah, much happier. Um, I, uh, I mean, I don't want this to sound like a dig. It's inevitably going <laughs> to. You know what's going on? No, but there's a reason the team isn't on Twitter anymore. It's because he's happy. He's, he's happy with Guardiola. Um, he, you know, before when, when he was coming out and he was saying, you know, he'd do the odd mix zone appearance, apart from in Napoli when he broken the record obviously whenever he was in the mix zone it was because he had something to say and he wouldn't outright say it but you know it'd, it'd leave us to join the dots um and then yeah there, there were the the team leaks and that kind of thing but that's all stopped now because he's much happier and obviously he signed the contract as well you know if if he wasn't happy maybe the time had had gone for him for him leaving because obviously Guardiola's much happier with him as well um, and he always wanted to stay, but he maybe wasn't happy with Guardiola. But that time for him leaving is gone. But if he wasn't happy, he wouldn't have signed an extra year. So I think that just that says everything, really. But yeah, he is. He's 
well, as we all know, he's been happy to just stay at City and keep contributing and playing for City for years. You know, we saw in the documentary how he kind of lives this solitary lifestyle. He's been happy enough with that. Um, but yeah, as you say, the end of Guardiola's first season, things were looking a bit ropey there. Um, is but, he the, but now it's completely different. Is he the best he's ever been for Manchester City, in your opinion, yeah, Sam? Because I, I feel he is, but... Yeah, I, 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 I was, yeah I think so. I mean, obviously, I wasn't, <clears throat> I wasn't necessarily watching him as closely for the first five or six years of his time at City as I have been now. But I think so, yeah. He, he offers so much. And like like you said, there was maybe that tendency to not do a lot for half an hour, but still uh, determine a match. And, you know, Guardiola said recently, the time for a striker to to take a coffee when his team haven't got the ball, you know, that's over. And that, that obviously applies to Aguero more than anybody. But he, he isn't doing that. He's completely changed. And, yeah, he's he's... He's an all, a more all-round forward now. He's more polished forward. He's, I, I think he's, he's playing the best football of his career. But I, I, that's not just for him. I think the same goes going back to last season for people like David Silva as well, and as we mentioned today, Fernandinho. Yeah. Uh, all, all that's left for him now is to learn how to dress himself properly. <laughs> you can see his pictures in America. He's... Yeah, he's, I think he must have a new, he must have a new girlfriend. Because he's been in LA yeah. twice now, hasn't he, in these international breaks? Yeah, just on the he'd, he'd look good in a bin bag, but still, you know, he did. I don't know what he was wearing this week. Absolutely ridiculous. Uh, just, we'll finish off this looking back with just two little sections in the game uh, to look back on. Uh, Asan, firstly, why I've read in the notes, uh, and my head was a fuzz during this game because you know what I'm like on Derby Day. Uh, but I did read that after City went ahead, three of, obviously, United have front three, quite pacey, and Mourinho brought two of them back into midfield, and that stifled the game. So you put in the notes why we were timid after the first goal up to half-time. Do we give, is it due to Mourinho more just, you know, nullifying the game completely, or was it another City reaction after taking the lead and easing off? I think they showed nerves, I'm going to be really honest. I think that for whatever reason, oh well, not for whatever reason, for a very specific reason, because of what had happened um, last season, I think that after City, I think that we opened the game and as we know, United touched the ball five times in the first 12 minutes and then we score a goal. And I think that City's reaction to that goal is, well, okay, United are going to play now. They're going to, you know, they're going to do something. So, we should be a bit more careful because we're going to get pressed a little bit harder. Um, and so I felt that all of the the sharpness and the crispness of the passing um, and the progressiveness of the passing, it dipped just enough for it to become safe and for us to feel a little bit unthreatening. That's Sam. Yeah, I'd be interested to know what Sam thinks. Yeah, I thought. I mean, my personal view is Mourinho is good at nullifying games, and he can still do that. Uh, but you know, got a four hundred million pound. He can't. That's it. Shows the the chasm between the two teams. Read. He can do that. He can close a game down for periods, but with what he's spent and the aspirations of a club like United, you know. He still couldn't get near our goal. He can only do one or the other, so to speak. And I think this was a sign of that for me. But yes, yeah, Sam, what's your views on that? 
the second half of the first half, so to speak. Yeah, I think Guardiola said the players felt the pressure and maybe f- like the pressure of what happened in April um, felt that United could maybe exploit them a bit. And I think that, I think Asan summed it up. So th- in terms of what Guardiola will think about that, I wonder if that's a bit of a worry for him because the main the main thing, the main lesson from the first season was at Monaco, wasn't it? Where he said, look, I know we've got this lead on aggregate, but I want you to keep going and keep attacking. But effectively, the City players were used to the kind of, well, not just English, I mean, particularly English, but it's a general football thing. Normally, if you've got a lead, you hold on to it and you don't go for more. You just kind of try and protect it. That's the opposite of what Guardiola wants. Um, and that Monaco game, they did kind of sit back and didn't really know what they were doing. But it looked like, obviously, in the two years since then, City have got over that. Or well, the year and a half since then, City have got over that. They they do what Guardiola says, they keep pushing. But interestingly, yeah, yeah on Sunday... It wasn't. It wasn't entirely like that, was it? So I suppose when they got back in at half time, Guardiola said, "What are you doing? You know, I've told you what to do. Go for it." And they, I think they probably were a bit worried about what happened uh, against United. Uh, and it's, it is interesting that that ha- still happened. But then again, you know, they got in at half time and Guardiola managed to turn it around. But I'm sure that's something he'll he'll have in his mind now for not so much Premier League games, may, maybe the Liverpool game, and then probably Champions League. Do you think that it's uh, that we face an issue, and this is for both of you, maybe Howard, you can you can go first. Do you think that we face an issue in that against so much of what we face in the league, there's no real pressure on us and there's no real... That basically the, the opposition players just aren't good enough to worry our players. But the flip side of that is that when you go into a big game and there's not that many of them for us in the mm. season anymore, yeah, that if somebody lands a punch on you, you almost, like, you, you kind of don't really know what to do because you, it's not that you don't know what to do, it's that it rocks you in a way that actually it shouldn't do. And the reason that it rocks you is just because you're so used to having nobody throw a punch, let alone land a punch. Yeah, I think that's part of it. And I think that ties into maybe, the, you know, the Champions League period, the derby period of April, where we saw that happen. But I think in this this case on Sunday, maybe just it's more a bit psychological. It's not so much a punch, but the threat of a punch. You know, if you're facing Tyson and he has an idiot, you think he's going to hit me in a minute. Mm. And I think it's it must be that kind of situation or maybe it's that kind of situation where they were worried about what United could do what rather than what they were actually doing and I'm sure Guardiola would have said look we know the patterns we know we know what they're going to do we know what we should be doing keep doing that don't worry about what they might do Um, because obviously then if you start getting sloppy and you're not pushing you you invite them back into the game and actually gives them the opportunity to do what you're worried about them doing and yeah with United there wasn't actually much chance of that but if they do that against Liverpool, then you will have problems. Because if you if you invite Liverpool to do what you're worried they go- they are going to do, then they probably will do it. And that is the mm. same. That's why I mentioned the Champions League as well. Because again, on the Amazon documentary, every time there was some kind of setback, like the Burnley game when it was one all, Guardiola was talking and talking and talking as if this is going to matter when it comes to the Champions League. It was all kind of geared to big games in the Champions League because they knew the league was won. So, yeah, it's... It's going to be basically Liverpool, maybe Chelsea games, 
uh, and, and the Champions League where they just need to not worry about the other team. They need to worry about what City are doing. And I think that's probably more as well, kind of as much of a concern as the reaction if something bad does actually happen in a game. But obviously, yeah. broadly, they're absolutely fine. Might as well be Celtic, eh? <laughs> not being it, tested. It, it does, it does sound a bit like that, doesn't it? But yeah, in terms of the big games, these, yeah, there's the kind of little problems to iron out, maybe. It, yeah, it would help. I mean, obviously, help City to be and tested they did every week. It would help, help the players to be tested every week. Uh, but on the flip side, it obviously helps. This dominance helps the players get through a, a grueling nine-month period yeah. as well. I think what they need is some uh, kind of European Super League. Yeah, hold oh, that, up, that's a <laughs> cracking idea. <laughs> Can't believe no one's thought of that yet. So, uh, the last thing we're going to look at in the match itself: the forty-four pass goal or FFP. <laughs> uh, third highest, I think, in Premier League history, forty-eight being the record. Uh, quickly from both of you, Sam. Was this who do do we praise City for this move or do we criticise United? There's been a lot of criticism for United for not being able to lay a glove on City for almost two minutes. Mm. Is that fair or was City just a City so good at moving the ball when of course when they, they want to keep the ball they can just keep the ball? Well, yeah, uh, of of course they are. I mean, there were periods in that where United tried to press and then City just like stepped it up a bit, couldn't get near them, and then they probably just thought, oh, "Fuck it, can't can't get yeah. near them." Um, but yeah, and. I, I don't know who who set the record for forty eight. Do you know? No, it was on Batch of the Day. On, I know on they a, said it, it was the the longest sequence matter in twenty fifteen. So that would have been Van Hal. And again, you know, Van Hal put together teams that knew how to pass the ball. They didn't have the cutting edge or the, even the intent to play as much as City under Guardiola do. But yeah, I mean, teams don't score these goals by accident. You know, yeah. Like, I don't think. Uh, Tony Pulis' team has never stumbled across a forty-four pass goal. You know, it just yeah. it doesn't happen. Um, they know yeah. that you got to give credit to City for it. And like I say, United, they there were times where they they tried to close them down, but what can you do? And also, it's not just that wouldn't have been the first passing sequence. United have been doing that for the whole game. You know what people say about when you haven't got the ball, you work twice as hard. United have been doing that for like eighty-seven minutes, just literally just waiting for City to do something yeah. and just getting knackered. So. A combination of being unprepared for it, being knackered, trying a bit, but not getting... You know, what 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 could they do, really? They got themselves yeah. into that situation for whatever reason. Hey, Sand, in, in one line, is it City praise or United criticism? Um, two lines, if you want. Uh, I'd like to have a few lines, actually. <laughs> okay. um, yeah, I mean, I... Uh, I think that considering the score and considering the fact that it was a derby, uh, when you watch the goal back, what what the what what were United doing? What were the United players doing? That doesn't make any sense to me. Like that's a derby. You know, actually, you know what it reminded me of. Do you remember Pierce's last season in charge? Have you wiped that wholly from your memory, Howard, or do you still yeah. have the second half of that season in your head? I have one memory, and that's. Uh, a one Grand National horse came in during a nil-nil draw against Liverpool. <laughs> okay, so the whole of Withershaw was on the silver birch horse, and there was yeah. So that's my memory of Stuart Pearce. And my a cuddly toy on the in the dugout. That's it. Beanie. My, my memory <laughs> is uh, being one nil down to United at home. Mm. 
after we were safe from oh. relegation. Yeah. And Stuart Pearce still not letting any of the players cross the halfway line. And I watched that Mourinho, watched that goal back, and it kind of immediately, my mind went to Stuart Pearce's City team and that half of that season, and also that game a little bit. Isn't that a damning indictment of, of Jose Mourinho and Man United? 2-1 well, that down with five minutes to go. <laughs> what are they doing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just, it, it's, it's, uh, I, I don't think that, that I, I don't think they've had enough criticism, like I said at the top of the podcast, for how cowardly and how pathetic that performance was for a derby. I mean, they've just beat Juventus in Juventus. Do you know what I mean? You've kind of, you've, you've, you've not turned a corner, but you've certainly changed the narrative from what it was three weeks earlier. And you've got an opportunity here. They were completely unprepared. They, obviously, Mourinho had done absolutely zero tactical work with any of them. And because of that, he only had one plan, and that plan was to sit deep and hope. And that's, for a guy getting paid, you know, rumoured to be $23 million a year, that is frighteningly negligent. Can I just say that pace? It wasn't when we got a penalty and Vassell missed it, was it? Yep. That was one of the only times I've almost not wanted us to miss the penalty, but I was didn't (laughs) care. Because not only was it clearly not a penalty, but it was such, as you said, such a timid, pathetic performance. It was awful. And it's a derby, you'll take whatever you get. But I was always embarrassed for us to have scored from that. It was such a pitiful performance there. Right, let's move on anyway, because uh, we've got just a few more things to talk about. So, yeah, that's the derby. Uh, Sam, can we just uh, get an update from you about Mendy injuries? Obviously, had surgery uh, Dr. Kugat, so obviously he'll be back <laughs> training tomorrow, no doubt. But in seriousness, how bad is it? Uh, have you heard anything about when City hope he will be back? No, the only thing I heard was... A guy who's, who's normally good with this stuff. He said he heard four weeks, but he wasn't sure. And he was like, let me know. I'll, let me get back to you. And he hasn't. Um, but then I saw Christoph, the Belgian journalist, said when Courtois had his operation at Cougat surgery on the meniscus, it was 10 weeks. So that was, that's probably a better way of, of looking at it, I suppose going by the precedent of what's happened with, with Courtois. So I would guess that. But no, there's City haven't said anything. Um, I, I've not been able to hear any, anything. Um, they will know. Uh, it's just not come out yet. Right. I'll have a little look this afternoon again, actually. Why not? I yeah. Hey, Sam. <laughs> hey, Sam. Is this just going to reiterate your uh, much-mentioned opinion that we should buy a left-back in January? Well... I mean, I've been saying for a year that we need a proper backup left back. Um, I think my issue is that if it is 10 weeks, if it's eight to 10 weeks, then he won't be back training until the end of January. And I think that a guy like Mendy, who's missed as much football as he has already in the last couple of years, to then go and have surgery on the other knee, so the strong knee, if the if the one the, the one that he did his ACL on is the weak knee, to then go and have surgery on your strong knee, so it's suddenly not so strong. I imagine that 
even after he comes back and he starts training, he's not walking into the to the starting lineup in the first week of Feb. I would imagine, looking at it from a Champions League point of view, you don't see Mendy back at peak Mendy until the quarterfinals in March. Um, and I suspect, I think this, the the round of 16 is the second week of February, I believe. I don't think he's back for that if it's 10 weeks. Um, and that puts us in a position where you begin to look at the uh, the potential... Look, the reality is that we could win our group and, and, and end up with a very difficult tie in the round of 16 because of the way that the groups have fallen and the, yeah. you know, the way, the way that they're unfolding. And, you know, I mean, you, you, you spend what you spend, you build the squad that you build, you're go, really going to go into another set of Champions League knockout ties with basically having a straight choice between Delphin Zinchenko for who's going to play left back. And on top of that, I think the thing that exacerbates it the most is that everybody knows those guys aren't left backs. And you can get away with that against, you know, maybe against Stoke or against, you know, Huddersfield or sides like that. But in the Champions League, in the knockout stages, every team has got a front three that is good enough to score goals. And I think that I imagine every coach, if we end up in that situation, whoever the manager is, whatever the team is, is going to be going everything down their left side, everything down their left side. And I just, I don't think that's a, it's just my opinion. I don't think that's an acceptable position for us to be in. I think that it was negligent to go the entire summer and leave Delphin Zinchenko where they are and not go and get a proper bona fide left back to go and play at left back. I think on top of that, Delph has played all of his football, unless I'm mistaken, in centre midfield uh, this season. Kind of like almost as if Pep is going, well, we can't use him at left back because we need him to be Furnace back up in case something goes wrong there, which means that it's Sinchenko. So, I mean, yeah, we, we, need, we need to buy a left back in January, in my opinion. Not as worried as you, to be honest. <laughs> Don't think the uh, the team performances tail off if, you know, we put someone like Delph or Zinchenko in. Uh, I do think Zinchenko is growing as a player all the time. I'm just not worried about seeing him in the team. Just to play devil's advocate Mendy's for a second. still a work in progress anyway. I appreciate that. Yeah. appreciate that. But just to play devil's advocate for a moment, um, we're defensively awful against Liverpool. And I think that we're defensive in, in the Champions League last season. And I think we're defensively awful against Liverpool because, unless I'm mistaken, Laporte plays left back at, at, at Anfield. Is that right? Yeah. Right, so yeah, I mean, I so. You, you're, you're, this is what I mean, that that's the competition. The Premier League is the Premier League, right? But the Champions League is the competition. We haven't won, we need to win. And when we buy players, it's, I had this conversation yesterday with somebody, Man City don't buy players for the bottom, to beat the bottom 12, 14 in the Premier League. Do you know what I mean? You can you could almost pick up quote-unquote B-team and they'll make mincemeat at the bottom half of the Premier League. You're buying players for the last stages of the Champions League. The reason that you need Benjamin Mendy is not to go and beat Uddersfield. You need Benjamin Mendy so that when you get to the Champions League knockout stages, you've got the quality to damage top quality teams from all positions. And I just, I feel like we're, sorry, I'm reiterating my point, but I feel like we're, rolling a big dice if we don't sign a proper left-back. Okay. Uh, Sam, have you heard anything about City's intentions 
Yeah, this this Junior Firpo lad. And sorry to anyone who knows how to actually pronounce it. Um, yeah, the lad of Betis. Obviously, that was rumoured. Was it in the summer or still kind of August time? I thought, okay. I, I mean, I've heard a, a bit about it, but haven't been confident or uh, haven't known enough about it to do an article on it. But it does. It does seem that City or at least looking at him. I saw it was in the sun again the other day, which made me think I can't do an article now because it looks like just ripping that off. I've just Googled it now. It was actually Mike McGrath in the sun and he, he tends to know what he's talking about with City. Well, in general, actually, he's good. Um, and a colleague of mine yesterday who works in Seville, is kind of the Seville Betis guy, he messaged Per Guardiola, who's his agent, uh, and I wasn't expecting him to get anything back. And you never know with agents whether they're telling the truth or not. Um, but Guardiola's brother replied saying, uh, there's interest and they've been asking about him, but nothing more than that at the moment, which is interesting. Um, it, it might not be true because he might be doing it just to ramp up interest and using <laughs> using his brother's club. I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised. But also, he could be saying it because if, if it was City saying, oh, there's interest, I would take that to mean it's actually happening because City don't normally admit that. So... Yeah, I I kind of get a feeling that there is there is something in this one, and I, I messaged the guy I know yesterday um, to see what he said, and he he kind of thinks that they're working their way up to that, and given the Mendy injury, that might accelerate it a bit. So again, I'm trying to confirm that a bit more. Um, it's the one I'm thinking of. He's not played much football at all, has he? It's not not been in their team for too long, so. Uh, yeah, yeah he's been to... he's been good. Apparently, it's one of these players yeah. where the first time I'd heard about him was when they were linked with City. Um, but how much has he played this season? Yeah, he's played every game this season apart from. Yeah, one. I, mean, but no, I know what you mean like going back season. before. Yeah, he's only twenty two. Yeah, you go back two years. He wasn't playing any top level. Football, yeah, you know, so it's a bit of a dark horse in that respect. Uh, a sounds really. He seems to be playing on the left, left of midfield for Betis. That's under Seti, and mm. so I wonder if that's a wing back yeah. thing. Obviously, they've been yeah looking at him a lot. Of uh, the Spiegel links, do you think they've had any effects on how City may act in the January transfer market? No. no. Sam, do you think that City will be affected by the no. Spiegel links in the January transfer window? No, they haven't. They haven't denied the Spiegel links. They just said this is all out of context, and you're trying to discredit us. So it's just kind of like you can piss off, basically. So they're not. They're not going to be put off by that when it comes to spending money and trying to win trophies that's literally the whole point that's the whole basis of if these allegations are true that's the whole basis of what they're doing is everyone else can piss off we're going to spend the money we should be spending because our owner should be allowed to invest and we're going to do that in January whether you like it or not so yeah excellent um just on the Per Guardiola thing uh I know that I know a couple of City transfers, while Pep's been in charge, Pear has told somebody very openly that City are in for that player. Okay. Um, so it doesn't sound, and, and he's been right on both both accounts. I don't, so I, I don't think, I'd be really surprised basically if Pear Guardiola's turned around and said, yeah, City, there's an interest from City. I'd be very surprised if there isn't an interest from City. Let's put it that way. Okay. Well, I mean, the thing is, if we do write this article now, it's going to say sources close to the player, and anyone who listens to this is going to know who it is. But there we go. <laughs> <laughs> That's how journalism works. Also, although yeah. sometimes when it says sources close to the player, often it is the player. Yeah. Uh, Asan, looking at Exeter. Uh, England played last night. Sancho started, got an assist, just a quite simple layoff. Uh, 
Do you think he could return to the Premier League at all, either this summer or coming years? I'd be really or... surprised if Dortmund let him go this summer, yeah, um, mainly fun. because they're doing so well. They could well end up winning the Bundesliga. I think they themselves will know that from a football point of view, from a commercial point of view, letting him go this summer will be daft because if he just has the same season next season as he's having this season, his value will shoot up again just from the consistency of the two seasons. So, yeah, I I don't envisage a situation where they let him go this summer. Um, Yes, I think next summer, so the summer of 2020, I can definitely envisage a situation where he comes back to England for a ridiculous amount of money if his development continues. Did either of you watch the England game? Yeah, yeah, most of it. How did he? How do you think he played? Uh, yeah, it's a bit, it, bit of a pointless game, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, it, one game. of those one of those games where you say they're raw because whenever he got the ball at his feet, and obviously his confidence is what really stands out, and the you know the crowd were like kind of had not just that kind of. What's that that noise you get? You know, when I'm, I always think back to Ronaldo mm. when he was at United, but you know, the, there's like a murmur in the crowd when somebody gets a ball. Like, oh, what's he going to do now? It wasn't even like that. It was just like, go on, do something. It was like that kind of excited noise after about five or 10 minutes, whenever he got it. And when, when he's taking people on, when he's carrying the ball, he got a ball fired into him. And within two very quick touches, which basically was done in the time it takes most people to do one. He was, he was you know, he was in behind and on his way. When it came to like the final pass kind of thing, in fact, after that touch I just mentioned, he played the ball across the box. It didn't go to anyone. Uh, he should have played it. If he was going to play it across the box, he could have gone towards Wilson. He could have also had a shot. There was also a time in the second half, I think, where a through ball was on, where it's just one of those where if you play it beyond the defender, the striker will run around the other side of him. You know, it's like it's the old through ball on FIFA. You press triangle and you're in. You cut out the defender and the striker's onto it. It was one of them, and he basically gave it straight to the defender. So it was one of those performances you'd describe as as raw. But given what he's got going for him, the talent and the confidence, and the fact he's so young, and the fact that he's only been playing first team football since like the start of the season, really. I know he was there last year, but not not an awful lot of exposure. This is his first kind of run. Um, it's one of those performances where you'd say he's on the right track. Um, but yeah, there were there were ups and downs, but that's to be expected, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, Asad, just uh, quickly, were we wrong to be going after the likes of Sanchez and Mares for a year when Sancho was here, or is that just wonderful hindsight because he's just taken off in Germany? And what, you know, did we even have a choice? Was he just absolutely uh, determined to leave anyway? So, or have City dropped a bollock so to speak in this one? Well, I mean, look. I think that there obviously there'll be an element of hindsight in in trying to unpack the Sancho situation because he's doing so well in Germany. Um, I do think that pursuing Sanchez in the way that they did um, in the summer, not landing him, and then Sancho not getting anywhere near the first team. I suspect will have made Sancho's mind up that. Yeah, it did. It did of, affect him. I was told. I was told recently that them going for Sanchez that summer did make him think. Well, what's the point? There you go. Um, and then January rolls around, and they go in for Mares. I think at that point, he'd gone by then, hadn't he? 
He'd already gone. He, he'd already gone by he, January. Yeah, yeah. He went last summer, didn't he? He went the summer they were after Sanchez. He went. He, he'd gone. Yes. I think before the Sanchez thing had even run its course. That's right. My my, my apologies. That's but you're right. right you he, are right though. It, he's unsettled by the the Sanchez pursuit, and and he kind of goes. Um, I mean, look, it's it's difficult, isn't it? Because you kind of look at his you look at his his trajectory this season. And you look at how highly he rated was in our academy, and you go, "Well, it was obvious he was going to do that." Um, but at the same time, you, it is twenty twenty hindsight because he could equally have gone to Dortmund and not got a kick of the ball. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I remember Lloyd said to me before Sancho left, actually quite a bit before Sancho left, um, he said, "I have a feeling that Sancho is going to become our Pogba," and I was like, "What do you mean?" He goes. The boy's going to go for almost nothing. And I'm telling you that he's going to come back to England for a world record fee. So they were certainly watched. Because, I mean, I don't watch the EDS and, and the youngsters in the way that, that Lloyd and, and Steve Esteem Company do. But Lloyd was absolutely convinced and has been since day dot that he's not just potential, that he's got the mentality to fulfil the potential. And from my point, from a kind of personal point of view, looking at the future, the only thing I hope is that he goes back to London, that he doesn't go to United. Okay. Uh, Sam, just finally, we'll get a couple of minutes to wrap up. We'll look forward to Sunday's game. Uh, Callum Wilson, though, oh. got his goal and his debut. Great to see. Uh, now, where do you place uh, someone like Callum Wilson? Do you think he's good enough to play for Champions League team, either England or abroad? Or we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah, we're getting ahead of ourselves. There's a lot of, you know, didn't Ricky Lambert score on his England debut? And uh, I mean, Danny Ings might have got a cap. But, you know, all these all these strikers at, at mid, middling clubs have have gone through good patches. Like Lambert even got that move to Liverpool. Um, they get called up. Normally it's in these internationals where, you know, it's at the start of another cycle, and it's not necessarily yeah. for qualifying for the next tournament. It's you know the friendly kind of thing, and we we check them out and they, we see how they work. And again, the America game, you know, it's America, whatever. Um, he, he put in so much work as you would expect. You know, somebody getting their their England debut um, ran around so much, um, like hundred miles an hour whenever whenever he whenever he got the opportunity. Um, I don't, I, I'm I'm not sure about about that. Though certainly not at the moment. Um, he's he's going well at the moment. It's been six weeks, and even even if you look, he scored a couple of goals at the start of the season. I think he went a lot of games without a goal, and then he started again recently. So it's 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 way too early for that. And given you know we're talking about opportunities with Sancho and that and that kind of thing, you know. It's going to be a big game on Sunday. I'm actually quite looking forward to England Croatia. There's actually something riding on it, and it's, a draw doesn't actually suit either. So both teams should go for it. And going by the way, Croatia celebrated last night and they went for it. They they really will go for it. So that'd be good. But for those kind of games, you got Harry Kane. So yeah, that was my final question. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Sunday, two o'clock. I think Sunday yeah, yeah. afternoon. Uh, England at home against Croatia. Uh, right, so Spain are top. Both teams have to win. To qualify, if they draw Spain, win the group. Yeah. Both England and Croatia can also get relegated. Yeah. So they could win the group or get relegated going into the last game yeah. because obviously a very small league with few games. Uh, hey, Sanders, does this, does this change your opinion? Uh, it makes it interesting on Sunday. Does it change your opinion on... Obviously, there's an absolutely cracking match, it seemed, between Croatia and Spain last night. 
this change your opinion at all of the Nations League? Uh, is it? Have you been impressed by the format and how it's gone? I like the or Nations League. Or you still to start not with. really bothered? Huh? No, I liked it to start with. I, I, yeah. I'm fairly sure that I said from the off that I kind of it felt more competitive than than any friendly ever had. Um, I think that because of the way that we, the manner in which we beat Spain, and I don't know, it just it feels like it feels like the Nations League has come at a moment where the England national team is dare I say it, reinventing itself as not a joke, basically. Um, And the Nations League is helping it to do that by giving these young lads competitive games to, to, to stake their claim in and to show their level in. And it wouldn't surprise me in the least if Sancho and Sterling started together on Sunday, for example. And that'd be huge. It really would be yeah. huge. Sam, you've been impressed with this format. Uh, I think it, I think well, it there, was there are, Anthony's baby this year. But the thing is, I couldn't, you know, people talk about, and I think the Sky commentators have been told to kind of talk it up wherever possible about, oh, this is why, yeah. this is why it matters. And there have, you know, there have been games. You know, I watched the the first Spain Croatia game was really good, especially for half an hour when it was quite competitive. Croatia had a lot of chances, and then Spain just battered them. But that was really good. Obviously, the England Spain game in Spain that was good. The game last night, I, I saw the last twenty minutes. I think I should have watched it all. Really, um, that was really good. That's just that's just one group. But you've got other games elsewhere where there should be a bit more importance lended to it. I think that was the whole idea. You know where these games yeah. are more competitive and, you know, there's more interest. And for England alone, that's been the case. Look, that Croatia game away in front of the the empty stadium was shocking, but it's no better than it would have been if they had played Lithuania anyway, or even just yeah. a friendly against whoever, even if they were a good side. Um, I don't look, I don't know what's going on in the groups with Montenegro in. I've no idea. Um, I'm not. I'm not sure if the games are more competitive for them, um, but from the sample size, England games generally uh, are more exciting. And I'm actually looking forward to the game on Sunday. I'm, I'm going to be back where I grew up. My mate's going to be around before he moves away, so we're going to go and watch an England game that actually means something. And yeah, that that just wouldn't have happened without the Nations League. So yeah. for that reason alone, it's yeah, it's a bit mad. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. But if you care about the games, then who's arguing? Did, did you have a problem with the USA game being turned into a Rooney? I just wasn't asked yeah. in like in any Goodbye. way. I just yeah. wasn't. I didn't have an opinion on it. It's just yeah. whatever. Apparently, been discussed for yeah. Well, we're talking off air with Ace and uh, I think David Silva on Sunday has got his yeah, own he's little got a ceremonial kick off. I think yeah, he'll kick off then walk off uh, because the game is in Gran Canaria. I think okay. Um, and we're talking about Podolski had one. Uh, was it Schneider Ace and who had? Bizarrely sat on the couch in the middle That's of the it. pitch watching highlights of himself. So it's nothing new, to be honest. And no, I can't say. Uh, uh, I did, did. I did ask Asan last week, thinking he'd have a rant at it, but he was very fair and said, "No, nah, don't matter, and it's it's fine." Last night's game wasn't going to be that interesting either way. Yeah. It was quite so, fun at the end when Rooney he had a few chances and he was really trying to go for it. And then, yeah. and then to tie back into the Sancho thing, Rooney had the ball on the left. He gave it into Sancho kind of on that left side of position on the box. And this was at the time when it was like everyone's given Rooney the chance to score. Sancho just had a shot for about 20 yards. <laughs> it was literally the 93rd minute. So that's that's quite funny. Fair play to him. The disrespect. Yeah. Uh, right, going to wrap it up now. So there's one minute of this show left. Two other things this week. So you're only allowed 10 seconds to okay, reply. VAR is coming into the Premier League next season. Uh, good or bad? 
Yeah, I've done a 180. I just, you know, before the World Cup, I'd have said terrible, but I was completely wrong, I think. And if it carries on working like it did in the World Cup, yeah. and they improve okay. on it, good. Asa? Yes, brilliant news. Uh, final question. Fulham have sacked first, I think it's first Premier League sack in the season. Yeah. Is it fair, Asam, to sack a manager after losing 2 0 to Liverpool? Or is it just the timing because they'd finally found a replacement? I suspect it's because they'd finally found a replacement. Uh, I think Jukanovic has been a dead man walking for a couple of weeks now. Okay, and Sam? Yeah, it w- if, if they'd have just sacked him and not had a replacement, you think, why, why sack him after Liverpool and not Huddersfield? Just just yeah. go to Liverpool, surely, with a caretaker manager or whatever and give it a go. But they obviously, for one reason or another, thought it would be better to just announce Ranieri at the same time. And to be fair, it's kind of... It was just it was a clean break, wasn't it? There was no, oh, who's going to be the next manager? Fulham are in all kinds of problems, blah, 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 blah. Sky Sports News, articles, etc. It was, bosh, Ranieri's in, let's carry on. So it was actually quite yeah. well-handled in the end, even though they've obviously been working behind Ikanovic's back for quite a bit. And, unless yes, he knew about but, it and just carried on regardless. Let's imagine if City had been sourcing a new manager whilst... <laughs> <laughs> and let's, let's wonder how well uh, the... The articles that would have been filed across Fleet Street. Uh, uh, yeah, might even make up the fact that Ranieri was sat in the stands. Yeah, well, mate, I'm, I'm not sure if you know this. I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter. Turns so. out Guardiola signed the contract before it was actually hmm. announced, would you believe? Oh, my God. This is going to shock the football. And world. the press officer had the gall to deny it. I can't believe it. Oh, I mean, why didn't you just admit it to, to the journalists? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Right. I think we've covered everything uh, we can. Uh, Sam, thank you very much for coming on today. Ah, thanks very much. Uh, hey, Sam, thank you as always for appearing on the pod. Pleasure, mate. I hope my nose didn't give you too many recording problems. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, I'm going to have a very hot drink now. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. We've got uh, plenty more shows coming over this boring international break. And, of course, we'll soon be previewing uh, the return of the Premier League and Champions League. So thanks for listening. And until next time, goodbye. All the blues.